Isn't it awkward talking about death? We're all going to die in the end, yet somehow death is still seen as one of society's taboos. Dead Good brings the conversation to the forefront by asking those questions you want to know but might have been too afraid to ask. I'm Sajila Kershi, and in this podcast series, I'll be speaking to some of my favourite people, from comedians, actors and beyond, about their experiences of death, and in doing so, challenge the taboos that exist within society. I'm really excited. We've got a treat for you today, as we're joined by my very good friend, the multi-talented comedian, writer and radio presenter, Mr. Steve N. Allen. He's written an e-book and you might have seen him on the BAFTA-nominated The Mash Report on BBC Two. Sadly, his sister, his mother and father all died in the last few years. In this episode, we'll delve into these experiences with Steve. We cover topics from alcoholism within the family, COVID-19, the light and dark shades of Alzheimer's disease. We talk about the impact that these deaths have had on Steve and how he's dealt with his grief how his dad made everyone laugh at his mum's funeral. And we also get to find out about Steve's fantasy funeral. Hey, Steve, how are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. I mean, already already the, the spectre of the topic looms heavy over us, comedian and death in the same sentence, you yeah. We're going to take some light and shade on it. Obviously, it's something that all of us are going to face, every single one of us, but none of us are really prepared for it. So we're going to deal with that, tackle that straight away. I just wanted to kind of ask you to give us a bit of an insight into your upbringing and beliefs around death and how it kind of shapes your views on death, dying and bereavement. Yeah, this will be quick because basically no beliefs. Um, I was raised... From a family that used to be religious a generation before me. So I had no religion in my upbringing. School made us sing hymns, but you can replace that word with songs for all it made a difference to my uh, upbringing. And then went on to be a bit of a scientist. So very little emotional connection with anything that's not some proven hard fact. So, yeah, have a no, be- no beliefs, which is good in a sense. It, it removes some of the like sword of Damocles hanging over you about what might happen after you die. You know, as much as people think, oh, you're an, you're an atheist, you don't believe in an afterlife, that must be terrible. So I don't believe in hell. I mean, I could get away with a lot now, couldn't I? So I I have a very, pragma- I think it's a very pragmatic relationship with death. That's what I thought anyway, growing up. I thought I was, if anything, a little bit emotionally removed from the concept, which felt like it was good preparation. Well, you say you're an atheist, and obviously that's going to resonate with a lot of our listeners being an atheist. I'm an agnostic. I'm kind of sitting on that fence, you know, if there is... God, I'll kind of repent and apologize and say, I really did believe in you. And if there isn't, you know, I'm kind of like, hey, Mr. Dawkins, fancy meeting you here. But where would you be meeting Mr. Dawkins? You'll obviously be dead too. But and obviously that's imagining that wherever the atheists go, we'll all be hanging out together or the agnostics. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm kind of just joking really. It's like just kind of hedging my bets on that one. But obviously you're a scientist and so you do believe in fact. And, and that's the thing. We don't know the facts of what happens after death and I, I know that you must have had a briefment like your earliest briefment was what would it have been a pet would you did you have pets when you were a kid yeah first time I ever came across the concept of, of death really or the emotional impact of it was um magic which was one of our rabbits the first one to die 
And yeah, it was huge how I was suddenly, you know, sat up in my bedroom, really upset about the fact that they'd taken this rabbit to the vets and it never came back. So, and this is why I realized having pets is fantastic. It's great preparation. I mean, don't take that too literally. Don't like buy a pet just so that your kids get to watch it die. That you know, wait until it reaches the end of its life through its own natural occurrences. <laughs> yeah, we we killed some of the chickens today. But it was my the first time I started to learn about it, which then meant a few years later, probably about ten years later, actually, when I was in my teens, I only ever knew two of my grandparents, and they both died when I was around that kind of age. And that was the first the first time that an actual loss happened to me. The fact that then someone who was fantastic, because grandparents are always the best, aren't they? I'm learning that as I carry on through life, that parents are nothing. Grandparents are the ones that are really liked. So when you lose those, it's, it's such a huge loss. But yeah, I, I hadn't had that. Other than a couple of pets going, I'd had no preparation for it. So that's your first death and any grandparents, which is kind of expected. I think we all kind of at some point realise that our grandparents are going to go before everyone. Because it was a first death, do you think it was harsher or do you think it's because of the fact that you had a very close relationship with them? Yeah, I mean, a bit of that, a bit of being the youngest child. And the curse of the youngest child is that you are younger when people die. I was a, the late addition to the family. So for my sisters who were getting on into the, the late teens and 20s when they lost their grandparents, I was heading into my teens. So I think it is worse at that age because you have that emotional connection to grandparents and to to then realize that they can go. But with both of them, they were ill before with dementia. So and that that's a weird thing. We don't really have the, the correct language to describe it because with dementia, you grieve in small slices, which I learned later in life when then mum was the first one of my parents to get dementia, to get Alzheimer's. And that is just a constant grieving for the bit that you no longer have, the bit that gets removed by the Alzheimer's until eventually the big grief. Whereas some, when some people, when a person dies in a tragic situation, an accident or a sudden short illness, it's all in one. It's all one lump sum of grief. That's a beautiful description of someone with Alzheimer's and certainly you know, has been my experience. You lose them little by little. And so you kind of almost have to say goodbye in little stages. And I, I think that's a beautiful way that you've you've explained that to anyone else who's who's going through it. Okay, so you've kind of experienced your grandparents' um, bereavement. And would you say there was a time limit on how, although it was, you say it was in small stages, like there was there an end to that? Or was that always sitting with you? Was there an acceptance at some point? There was more of the sudden end because quite rightly what my family did was keep me away from the worst parts of the effects of of dementia so i saw that granddad didn't really know me anymore didn't really know other members of the family but i was kept away from some of the losses that were happening until eventually i was told that he died and then that suddenly hits you and in fact one thing i do remember about this whole topic is the first time i saw a coffin which was granddad and that I didn't think that could have any impact on me. That was just seeing a thing. But still, to this day, none of the other coffins since then have had that same impact of realizing the body of someone you loved is is in there. And this is, you know, the game has changed now. Everything is different. Uh, and that person's gone. That still stays with me. And, and I never had anything as sudden as that, even with Grandma, who was the next one to go, and then the, through the rest of the family. I do remember that impact, realizing and it's good to have something that that is sudden, sharp, and painful. Because this is my theory now is this is why we have funerals. Because you need something to really kick off the the processing of it. Something that hurts in a in a short spell. 
because if you if you have the opportunity to avoid dealing with these things, it can then take years longer. Whereas having that moment of seeing a box that you know represents that person, to have people speak about them, um, it, for me anyway, started the the process of of grieving. The you know the long the long form version of grieving, dealing with life after them. I think the, the, seeing the coffin is quite relevant, especially for me, like from a Muslim kind of background. It's like I know the Queen was lying in, in wait, they call it, and we have an uncovered coffin. And I think the first time I saw one of those was my friend's father, and it absolutely petrifying, but nothing prepared me for seeing my dad in a coffin. And although you're a scientist and you're, you have the logical kind of explanation, for me it was, where has he gone? You know, he's in there, but he's not him. And I could never reconcile the two. That's why I think like I kind of have like no faith in God, like, God, why would God do this? And, you know, but there's all this other stuff going on. But for me, yes, I know he's gone. I didn't understand why he'd gone. So there was all that kind of confusion, I suppose. So, okay. So, th- th- I mean, I just talked, mentioned my father and, um, and I know that after your grandparents, you also lost your parents and sadly over the worst time possible historically in terms of, you know, the recent times, which is during the pandemic. Can you tell us about, I think, was it your mother who passed away first well, if, we, if we're doing it in time order, before the pandemic hits, a couple of years, um, I had a sister who died, my eldest sister, uh, and then parents, mum first right at the start of the pandemic, and dad in the January halfway through, I guess it was, um, so just under a year later. So it was all of a sudden having a big, big spell of life after grandparents, and as you say, you know, you kind of process this when you're young, and then you don't think about death anymore, and people kind of pre-make their peace with the idea of losing their grandparents because grandparents are, quote, old and old people, you know what's happening. But then to have a sister die, I didn't expect that. That is one of those, not these small slices of grieving. That's the the total opposite. It was a rug pull. It was a thinking, well, this person's going to be there forever. And then to get a phone call to say that they're not, then there's too much for the brain to process. Like so many things are going to be different from that second onwards that trying to reorganize your own head is really emotionally costly and energetically costly. It's exhausting to think about. I imagine losing your sister out of the blue, you know, would have been... Could you just sort of explain the circumstances around, you know, her death, please? Yes. Um, she she had a problem with alcohol and eventually it got the better of her. Um, and we didn't realize how close to being fatal this problem was. So all of a sudden it was sprung on us so i've got one of the sister left and um yeah we she got a call went around there and and found that she'd died a few days earlier so it's a horrible way to go and for it to be one of us you know one of the three kids it it makes you feel way more mortal it made me feel mate way more mortal the weird thing is as well me and that sister who was 11 years older than me but we shared a birthday just random chance that we were born on the same day but I never, I never thought I'd have a birthday where she wasn't around because women live longer than men. She was older than me, but she'd live longer. So roughly speaking, every birthday of my life should have been a, f- a shared one. And so to suddenly realize, like, I mean, that's what I mean about the small details in your head have to change. Everything's different after that phone call. These presumptions that you didn't realize weren't set in stone, suddenly gone. Like then every birthday isn't a shared birthday with my sister. And I used to, as a kid, used to think, oh, no, I'm never going to have my own birthdays. When you actually get one, it's horrible. So, yeah, it was it was a huge impact. And because it was avoidable, in a sense, with people who are ill for a long while, it's the, it's the inevitable end of what's happening. But when someone could stop drinking, 
but couldn't. But in theory, you know, people can drink less. And then there's, there's anger mixed in there. Like, why, why did she not stop? Why am I deprived of a sister because she failed to do something is the real basic thought process that it's taken a while to, pro- to deal with. I know that you said you've given up alcohol and you found it easy to do. Um, and, and you feel frustrated that you couldn't do that for your sister. I mean, what kind of feelings around that? Do you, do you have guilt, which I know a lot of people do when they have a bereavement, but in, in the circumstances with you being a sort of scientific mind, do you try and make it logical for yourself? Oh, I definitely have guilt and it's logical guilt. I don't think it's, I don't think, I mean, I ended up having counselling about this and the, the counsellor said it was complex guilt, sorry, complex grief because guilt was mixed into it. But it's not illogical to feel a whiff of guilt when someone failed to stop drinking to a fatal level and I'd stop drinking easily and if I could have imbued her with some of my ability to drink less it would have saved a life and then I, I'm you know I'm aware enough to realize it's not my fault and actually all of these hypotheticals of how I could have changed what would have happened might not have changed the outcome but it's not illogical to think if I could have taken this bullet for her it would have cost me nothing and it cost her her life so you know yeah I'd, I'd still I'm still upset by those issues, but I realize it's not a guilt that I should carry. It's a it's a series of concepts that I should ponder. Do you think it's partly, you know, entwined with like obviously with addiction? Some of us who've got people around who have got issues, they don't we don't know about them, and the fact that you didn't know makes it more frustrating because if you'd known, it might have been different. Is that the kind of thing that you play out again and again? We didn't we didn't know enough early on. I mean, eventually, we were very much behind the info. So towards the end, she admitted that she had a drink problem, like a year or so before the end. Um, but then we were never fully kept up to date with how bad it was, what the doctors had said. Um, but we, So she came to me to try and get my advice on how to drink less. And as I now realize, I was the worst person to go to because it was too easy for me. It's like a thin person giving advice to, to an obese person on dieting. They've never struggled with it. They don't know the difficult bits. They can't advise you through the tough parts. So I, I, my advice was just like, yeah, here's how I did it. It was never going to be useful because I didn't have an addiction. And I realized that was that's part of the problem. And so, you know, I wish I were wiser in the time to stop giving advice or say, get advice from someone who knows more. But we also did. She also was going to groups at times. And ultimately, the responsibility does lie on her shoulders. But it's impossible to not feel like I could have done more because that's the that's the hypothetical you can beat yourself with forever. Of course, there are more things you could have done, whether that have worked or not. You don't know, but they might have. So you can still beat yourself with that hypothetical. That's that's the thing with the um, you know living with an addict is that it affects everyone around them um, in their orbit, um, and there is nothing you can do. There's nothing. It, it is up to the individual, and, and very very sad. But the funeral for your sister, how how did that? Do you want to sort of show a picture of what that looked like on on that day? Well, weirdly, so we went to the the local to where they are up there, where my family were up north. Um, there's a crematorium, and we ended up having all three funerals in there in a short space of time. Um, and so, I, with the same funeral providers as well, I joke with them about how I should have a loyalty card because I'm almost there for a free one. Um, so, yeah, I didn't realize I'd be paying for so many funerals as well. That was suddenly came out. That's an expense that you don't prepare for. Um, it's bizarre, I suppose, suddenly having a a funeral for a sister. 
it was made worse by mum. So mum's Alzheimer's was too advanced for her to know what had happened. Dad's was on its way. So he it was in this this horrible valley of not really understanding what was going on, but had enough of an idea to be upset, which was it's it's a I mean, look, we know there's many cruel things about Alzheimer's and dementia, and that's one of them. That you know, no one no one presumes they're ever gonna have to sit their dad down and tell them that he's lost his eldest child but for it to happen at a time in dementia where if it were a few years later he just never would have known and if it were a few years earlier he would have been more in control of his own thoughts to help process it but there's there is a worst spot the opposite of a sweet spot and it landed there but in general because i'm so pragmatic and emotionless and you know scientific the funeral was nice i guess but it wasn't part of the process at all for me you know, it was upsetting to see the coffin, and I know the deal, and you know, seeing the the picture of on the coffin. But by then, I suppose I'd formed my opinion that that funerals are meant to hurt, so then you can get down to the business of dealing with the hurt, and that's that's what that one was. Okay, moving on to obviously the pandemic, and obviously losing now, you know, both your parents. Can you sort of tell us what happened during those pandemic time, starting with your mum? So yeah, mum was right at the start of it, um, and just like two weeks before the lockdown. Um, so we managed to have the funeral during some restrictions. Mum was was ill. She'd kept having respiratory issues. But then all of a sudden she caught this really bad respiratory disease. There were no tests at the time, so we'd never got it tested. So, you know, paperwork-wise, she's not a COVID statistic. But um, who knows? I mean, it doesn't matter as well. That's one thing I've realised looking back. It doesn't matter whether it was COVID or not. She caught something and she never made it through. And I was lucky, in quote marks, that I got to be there because it looked like she wasn't going to pull through just before Christmas. And I got to be there for five days before Christmas. And then she did, which is kind of brill, but also just it's an emotional roller coaster where you get a call from the care home saying, you better get up here. It looks like she's not going to make the next like day. And then five days later, she's back out the bed. She's in the wheelchair in the common room, eating with everyone else. She's like, oh, well, that was nice. And it was actually really good that I got to spend those five days with dad. Because by then, we, they were in the same care home. And suddenly, I mean, it feels weird to say, but it looked like it was some of the best time dad had had because he knew mum was ill, but he didn't really know what was going on. So he just had this, like every day I'd turn up and just sit with him all day and he'd have a brill time. He'd fall asleep, wake up. And I'd forgotten about this actually, because it's amazing how many of these small things that you forget that he would wake up from his nap and not get to see me walk in because I'd already be there. And it was really weird because he was a, a, a quiet man, not as in, he was basically not very emotional as uh, as a dad when I was growing up, but the uh, the dementia brought him out of himself. So we had some of the best years together when he'd lost some of his inhibitions because of the disease. So like he, if I walked in the room, he would be the happiest person to see me. And that was great because... I'd never had that growing up. You know, if I came home from school, there was never a moment of like, Steve, but he was doing that. And he'd be doing that if he woke up from a nap. And so we had five days of him having a great time and me trying to balance that with mum nearly dying but pulled through. But then the next time it happens was March and we heard this, the specter of this disease was around. So everyone's just really worried. And I got to be there for, again, another five days of watching it happen. And sitting next to dad and spending more time with that sister. So, yeah. I mean, at the time, I thought that was the horribleist. You found some humour in, in that because you did say that your dad 
almost was like trying to woo woo his you know your mum again, like because he'd forgotten who she was. And so, although Alzheimer's is a really cruel disease, it can also be really quite sweet and funny as well. Um, which every person whose family, you know, member who's had one had 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 gone through it will kind of have a story. So um, yeah, please tell us about that because it's a little bit of I think that's really sweet that your dad started kind of almost forgetting your mum, but also wooing her in the same time. Yeah, I'm not sure if he remembered that they were married or that they'd been married or anything. I mean, he didn't remember I was his son, but he knew I was Steve. But then he'd he'd be sitting next to her, next to her, putting his arm around her, going, you know, this is Val. And he knew that he wanted to be near Val all the time. Oh, that's so lovely. There, there are so many things with, with Alzheimer's where it's probably not funny, but there's a thing within our brain that makes it funny so we can deal with it. So many of those where it was a, a laugh at the end of the day and you think, actually... You know, it's it's not funny, but it's how you process it. But at the funeral, he did one that was brilliant. So he didn't really understand what was happening by this funeral at all. Mum's funeral, they'd been married for 60 years, so it was really important to me that Dad be there, even though I, I know it kind of didn't mean anything to anyone else. But I thought, it's doable. Let's not miss this opportunity. So even though there was the rumour of restrictions coming in, we, at the time, we were simply advised to wash our hands loads and don't hug. Uh, and not have loads of people. We didn't invite load, loads of people to mum's funeral. But the coffin was going in. Then there was my sister, who's older than me, with one of her kids. There's me, my other half. And behind me was dad and one of the carers. And then dad leant down the queue and shouted, let's all do the conga, <laughs> which is just brilliant. And it's exactly what we needed because it was a tricky time. Did, and did you? No, we didn't. <laughs> we, we let it just be the Because <laughs> funerals would be more... You know, it would be a bit more fun if you could do the conga. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> what a great... So you had a great sense of humour. Yeah. I mean, again, certainly did towards the end. I, I didn't know he had a sense of humour when I was growing up, but he must have done because it was all... It was hidden there, just waiting to come out. And uh, yeah, stuff like that helps you process the funerals. And we weren't hugging, which I know for some people, that would be the thing that sticks out in their head. Like, oh, how do you cope at a funeral if you don't hug? We didn't really hug through our entire lives. So we were not missing anything. We were not a very tactile family. So yeah, we didn't didn't miss that at all. It was nice that, that people got to be there for mum's funeral. Uh, and I then thought, I thought, I'm not going to worry about processing. This is a pandemic on. It's all a bit much. I'm not even going to worry about dealing with the grief of mum. I got plenty of time to sort this out after the pandemic. And uh, then dad died. So you pushed it down. Yeah, I yeah, I thought I'll deal with this later. Surely it can't get any worse. And it did because dad got ill. Dad caught COVID. And because um, we managed to get through that Christmas, the big Christmas. Can I ask how long after? Um, yeah, it was uh, it must have been January 7th. We got the phone call saying he'd caught it. And I was up there on January 10th to visit him looking ill. And then I was up there on the 15th. And that's when he passed away. Very quickly. Yeah. Flipping COVID. I mean, it's, you know. It's not one of my favorite viruses. And I, I do struggle with this as well, that growing up, to think the future would have held in, you know, in our futures was a pandemic that would have killed dad. It's, I, I do struggle with the enormity of that because it is just another death. I get that. And it's just another death in a family. And as you say, loads of people go through it. Most people will see live through the deaths of their parents. But it does sit with me really weirdly that, Imagine if you could go back and tell younger Steve that a, a global pandemic would be the thing that killed your dad. So that's, yeah, that's difficult to kind of understand. Where are you now at with the grieving of firstly both your parents and your sister? I mean, in a pretty good place because after 
after I'd done some counselling about my sister, which was a trickier one to process because of you know the guilt and stuff in there, um, I then realised after a while I'm going to get some counselling about mum and dad. Just I I didn't want counselling to be done on Zoom, so I thought there's no point starting it about mum because everything's going to be online and also i i know this to be true as well certainly of me and it's probably true of, of more than just me there's no point starting grief counseling straight away no no i agree because there's nothing to process until things start to settle and then you need to work out what needs to be processed um but since then yeah i've been having some counseling sessions and it's been great to talk through these things because there's a similarity with dad's situation with my sister in terms of, as you say, replay and blame. But the the reason they're different is for my sister's situation, I could have made decisions myself. I had the agency to change things and could have tried. And so that sits with me and I ponder whether it was right or wrong. With dad, I wish I could have helped because I'd had COVID and just survived it. I'd, I'd like two days of being tired. So there's I wish I could have done the work for him again. I wish I could have taken that COVID bullet for him because for me, it was a walk in the park. But for him, it was fatal. Well, uh, obviously, we could talk for hours, but I, I just want to say congratulations. I know you've recently become a father. Your little boy, Rory, is absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. I wish we could like show, but obviously we can't. <laughs> but he's just adorable, just beautiful little boy. Has that had an impact on on your grieving process? And you know, for me, like after the, our grief in our family, when my son was born, he kind of brought all the family together again and, and was really healing. Has it impacted you and the way that you see death or how you how you process your own grief? Has that had any impact? Well, I think the counselling and becoming an old hand at the old grief lark was uh, was meant I was he's not really been needed to help with grieving. Um, but he has he's changed my view on death quite a lot. I do still sit with the shame. I not the shame, but you know, it is a shame that he didn't get to be seen by my parents because they would have loved him. Dad still could recognise that babies are cute, and it would have been great to see Dad having smiled at Rory just once. So the, it adds another sense of like, ah, oh, that's a shame. And Dad was healthy enough that if it weren't for the COVID, he still would have been around saying silly things, and we all would have had a great time. Um, but with with mum, that was different because she wouldn't have known anyway. But he's Rory's made me realise the roles have swapped. You know, in all of these stories, I'm either the young child or the young son having to deal with the older person no longer being there. And now the odds are it's the other way around. I'm the old guy, so I I run more, I cycle more, I eat less, or I change the things that I eat because I don't want him to have to go through what he'll probably have to go through. The, you know, the Alzheimer's riddles and then eventually dying dad. I'm aware that I'm going to die before him. That's what I want in a sense. Well, that's, that's definitely what you want. Yeah. You don't want to, you always want to go before your kids. Yeah. But you, I don't want him to have the rough version. I don't want him to have to see it, you know, especially the, the long thing where you, you lose a parent in small increments. I don't want him to go through that. But we can do the conga. Yeah, I don't know whether he'll, I mean, you know, he's too young for me to know if that's the kind of sense of humor we've got. Imagine if I <laughs> somehow that joke is done and he'll be like, yeah. Dad, how could you? Um, yeah, we don't know what kind of sense of humor. <laughs> it's not embarrassing being in death. Um, so like talking about like, you know, what, what? let's hope your your funeral will be a very, very, very long, long, long time from now. But unfortunately, um, death is something that is going to hit all of us. We are all, none of us are going to escape it. Even with all your science, we're not going to escape it. So um, just some sort of fun questions at the end here for you. How would you spend your last week on Earth, Steve? 
You can do anything. Eating all the foods that you have to avoid. Yeah, eating all the foods you have to avoid uh, if you want to try and knock Alzheimer's. <laughs> I'd be licking aluminium from a pan. No, I'd yeah, I'd love some carbs. Oh, In the last man. week, you could eat um, loads of carbs. <laughs> Which carbs? Uh, donuts. It's the, it's the pinnacle. Oh, yeah, donuts. donuts or the vanilla crown might actually be better than a donut, but it's not as popular. So, yeah, just mainline donuts in my face. Um, but Krispy Kremes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh my part- God, Krispy Kremes are evil. <laughs> so, and what's your fantasy funeral? Because everybody secretly, come on, they've already got all, got all got a little secret fantasy funeral, you know. So, so describe yours. Anything you want. Anything. I know, I know what you mean by the presumption that everyone has this fantasy, but I suppose my true belief is that as soon as the electrical potential in my synapses is gone, that's it. The, then I've just become inert matter. So I'm aware of the, the logic is I wouldn't be in any position or any place to be able to observe this. So it doesn't matter to me. Um, but I understand the game. So the game would be saying lots of crying. Oh, I'd want a ton of crying. And none of this stoicism. You would want a ton of crying. Yeah. Oh, we miss him so much. He was really, br- I want all of that. Lay it on thick. None of this um, holding it in. No, no, no. I don't, in fact, yeah, I, I agree. get me an Italian funeral. I mean, I'm, I'm not of the culture, but I'd love some someone wearing all black veil and absolute loud wailing, annoying <laughs> wailing. Some something that's enough, enough to, to wake up the dead. That people have to do their phone calls further away. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'd want. Would you be buried or cremated? With this fantasy funeral, cremated, but, but for all I care. But again, I'm just matter at that stage, which which means that for me, I cherish the idea of being alive more than people who think there's some better thing to go to. So are you in with the school, there's this, this and they advertise quite a lot, actually, on, on, on headliners, I think, where they you can get picked up, the body gets picked up, they cremate you, no funeral or anything, and then they deliver you back in an urn to your loved ones. Yeah. Would you, would, would, there's no fuss. Go for that, there's yeah. No, no wailing then, no crying. No, that's what I mean. Oh, I, the, the actual answer is I don't care about wailing or not, because I'm aware that I can't, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to perceive it. It makes nothing. It is nothing other than like churlish for me to want people to suffer beyond when I could witness their suffering. Okay, what about the song that's played at your funeral? Yeah, a nice long one, so they can really get the crying in there. Bat out of hell. Uh, that's a long <laughs> one. So I've worked in commercial radio for a long while, so maybe Bohemian Rhapsody, so that everyone go to the loo. That's that's all that happens with a long song in commercial. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> what dead person would be at your funeral? You know all these wailing. What's the famous person that's going to be at your funeral? One famous person. The, oh, it would be funny. This is when you should get dorking. This is when you need dorking there, just turning up and ruining the vibe for everyone. But he's he's still around, <laughs> isn't he? So he's, he, but he's going to go before I do. So surely that's, I'm allowed that as a caveat. Um, but get, yeah, get me a proper scientist in there. Get, get Einstein just to really ruin the vibe to explain the nature of matter. <laughs> Basically being you, that's what you are. You're not, you're like a new Einstein and uh, if you could take one thing into your coffin or, you know, with you to the other side or whatever, I know you don't believe in that, but what's the thing that you would take with you? One material thing? I mean, mobile phone. A mobile, mobile phone. Okay. Well, in case anybody yeah. still rings you, or you can still hear them wailing on the phone when they've left messages. I miss you, Steve. It's in case I'm not dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> in case I can call up and go, you've made a big error. <laughs> I Can someone let me out of this? I don't want to have to do a kill bill and punch my way out, which would be even harder if I'd been cremated. I'm and uh, what, what is, what's one piece of wisdom that you can leave on earth the future generations. Oh, the one, the one piece of wisdom. And I think it is just that about it's the enjoying it thing. So every single death of a family member, 
other than the grandparents, I was too young, but my sister and the parents, every time I do that cliche of saying, it reminds me that I should live more and enjoy life while you've got it, because you never know when it's taken away. And it's so easy to forget that. But having three versions of being reminded has made it stick with me more than just the one death. So I, I honestly think I live my life more like that. I do think life is too short to spend it being in a bad mood, um, to spend... Life is way too short to let your life be impacted by other people's bad moods. We do that way too often. So, um, yeah, it's stick stick your own boundaries up and have a great time within them. What three words or a short phrase or saying would you have on your gravestone? I, w- I would like the, the sentence, I was right. Just because, you know, it's too late to try and prove me wrong in any other sense. It'd be nice to posthumously win all those battles. <laughs> Just say, whenever someone comes and visits your grave, if there's some some argument that they've not quite let go of, I was right. He still thinks he was right. So yeah, I I was right. So mansplaining till the end, Steve and Ellen. It's not mansplaining if it's uh, bloke reading it. Deadsplaining. Yeah. Deadsplaining. Yes. The deadsplaining. Deadsplaining. Yeah, I was right. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us here on, on Dead Good, a podcast about death with me, Sajila Kershey. Steve Allen, you were brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and graciously. Till we see you next time, goodbye. Thank you very much. Goodbye. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, then please do visit our website at stchristophers.org.uk where you'll find resources and support on a whole range of issues. Thanks for joining us here on the Dead Good Podcast, brought to you by St. Christopher's Hospice. I've been Sajila Kershey. Until next time, farewell. Farewell.